Well, hello, everybody. So glad that you're here wherever you are right now. Many of you online at home or maybe you're podcasting this later. Maybe you're driving down the road. I don't know. Uh, some of you are in one of our pre-gather places at our campuses as we're in pre-gather mode, which is gathering uh, without KidZone. And that'll come November 1st is full regather at all of our campuses, which happens to be my birthday, by the way, November 1st. That is a great birthday present to be able to regather after all these months on, on that particular day. Uh, some of you are at watch parties right now. However you're with us, we're just really, really glad that you are. And we are, uh, we've got two weeks to go this week and next week of our series going there where we've been looking at issues that divide uh, our culture and that are are important, but really tricky issues. And I want to thank you as a church and and really just say I'm proud of you as a church for over these last weeks uh, being willing to go there because it's not easy to go there. It's easier just to not talk about this kind of stuff. And in fact, uh, you may not realize this, but churches around the country and senior pastors around the country are watching Chase Oaks Church to find out what happens. Because uh, as a number of, of these pastors have told me, like, hey, you're just going there. And I wouldn't do that. Like, I don't think, you know, things are so polarized. People are so uptight. Um, everybody is is just, you know, has no margin in their life to be able to handle things in a, in a, you know, open way. And I just, man, I, we, I just don't, I don't know if I would go there. And, and I just have a lot of belief in Chase Oakers that I think Chase Oakers are the best. I think we can do this. I think we can go there. And also believe that as believers, and I know not all of you are Christians at this point, but, but for those of us who are, it's really important for us to be able to go there. Because these topics are important topics. They're not just cultural topics. They're not just political topics. Primarily, they are biblical issues, biblical topics, things that matter a lot. That, And I believe we as Jesus people should be the most thoughtful, the most nuanced, uh, not the other way around. We need to be able to think about this deeply and biblically. And therefore, we've been that's what we've been doing. So when we talk about the environment last week, stewarding our environment is like the first thing God asked us to do. That is a biblical command, a biblical thing, uh, racial reconciliation before that and so on. And the way we've been approaching this series is to say, let's focus, let's get above the muck and the Facebook fights and the us versus them and all that and focus on what the Bible says. To put our biblical filter ahead of our political filter and our political party filter or whatever else and just say, let's think through these issues biblically. And what you'll find is, as we have, is it will find as especially those of us who are Jesus followers, a lot of biblical common ground. And then you have to apply it in culture and apply it in different ways. And there we may very well um, disagree. And, you know, some people have this politics or what. And that's fine. But we can respect each other and learn from each other and listen to each other as we all have this biblical common ground. Like last week, the environment Uh, as a Bible believing person. I mean, God told us to take care of this planet. That's the first thing he asked us to do and to steward the environment. And I think we'd all say, yeah, we need to do that. But then how exactly that plays out and how you do that, how you balance that out with other things and other priorities. Well, that's going to we're going to have maybe some disagreements about that. And that's okay. We just need to make sure we're thinking biblically. Today, uh, we're talking about an issue that is certainly a controversial one, 
Um, even though at first it seems like it wouldn't be because we're talking about life and what it means to be for life, which is broader than we might tend to think about it. But today we're talking about being for life and what that means. And this is an interesting time period for me personally to talk about this uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is my brother, as many of you know, uh, is in heaven now. That's the good news. The bad news is he died a couple weeks ago. And many of you have lost people who are close to you, some recently, some a long time ago. And any time we experience the death of someone that we love, it feels like such a violation, doesn't it? And, and, and when you're like, it just shouldn't be this way. This shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be this way, especially when somebody dies too young. But it really doesn't matter any time they die. It's like, it shouldn't be this way. And the reason we feel that way, that it shouldn't be this way, is because it shouldn't be this way. When God created the world, he created it without, there was no death. That, that wasn't supposed to be part of the deal. But when human beings chose sin, along with sin came death. But the good news is, is death does not have the last word because God intervened. Jesus came here at the cross. He defeated death. That's why my brother's not dead. He's in heaven forever. He's alive forever. And one day Jesus will return and make a new heaven and a new earth. And in there it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That sound good? For the old order of things has passed away. One day that'll all be gone. But in the meantime, every time somebody dies, it's a reminder of how precious life is and how each life is sacred and how each life has value. So that's one reason because of the death of my brother. On a happier note, um, another reason this is an interesting week for me is to talk about life and being for life is that we, Christy and I, became grandparents this week, which we're so pumped. And here is the cutest, best little baby ever God created. I know I may be biased, but that's a little Eden, E-D-E-N. And uh, we're so excited. We've been praying and praying and praying for her. Uh, she came early because of some challenges that were happening uh, in the womb. And, and, uh, and so we're just so excited to have her. And it's just been, she's this little miracle. Here's a Here's Colin and Kenzie and the baby there, and we're pumped. And the truth is, you know, we look at Eden, and she's this amazing, miraculous wonder, but that's true of every human being. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So here's our big idea. Every human life is sacred, made in God's image, and should be esteemed, protected, and allowed to flourish. Now, if you read that, and hear that and kind of yawn, then there's something missing. And because this is something that certainly all of us who are Jesus followers should be really, really passionate about. This is not something this is not a yawner. Like this is something that is a big priority, a big deal for those of us who follow Jesus, because Jesus is the author and sustainer of life. And he asks us to to just Jump in with both feet to say every human life is sacred, made in God's image and should be esteemed, protected and allowed to flourish. And so we're going to talk about that. This is a broad conversation. A lot of times when we think about um, when we think about human life and we, we kind of think about one area, uh, the unborn, we're going to get there. But it's actually bigger. And notice also I talk about human life. And, and it's not because I don't like animals. I do like animals. And the Bible talks about being 
good to animals and take care of animals. God gets ticked off in the Bible when people don't. So God's all about animals too, even cats. <laughs> I know that's shocking to some people, but it's true. And, uh, and I have to admit that, that God is pro-cat. In fact, my dog, this is my dog, uh, Chewy, right here when we were out of town uh, and, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, he stayed with some friends of ours, actually my assistant, uh, Lynn French, and her husband, Lance. And they have a dog, but they also have cats. And, and he ended up, instead of becoming friends with a dog, becoming really good friends with a cat. And that bothered me. And I was thinking, man, I need to find like a, like a dog psychologist or a dog therapist to kind of get his head on straight. But then I realized, you know what? Maybe, maybe Chewie has something to teach us in this polarized world, in this us versus them world, that if dogs and cats can get along, we should be able to get along as humans, right? And, uh, but the reason I say all this about, you know, animals is, is that, is, is even though animals are wonderful and God loves animals, it's not like humans are just another animal or the humans are just one rung up from the animals on the evolutionary chain. Human life is very distinct and very different in creation. And we read that from the very beginning in Genesis one. God says, let us make mankind in our image. He says our because God is father, son, Holy Spirit. He's one and three at the same time. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals like cats and all, uh, all over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image and the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. Notice how many times it talks about the image of God and how God created humans in the image of God. Cats are not made in the image of God. Amen. Uh, even dogs not made in the image of God. But but humans are. And we're image bearers, not only made in a lot of ways like God, but also God's representatives of what that means. Like we we bear his image, bear his likeness. We represent him. And therefore. Every human being, every person is created with dignity and a destiny to fulfill whatever their race, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their gender, whatever their status. Every person is created equally with dignity and a destiny to fulfill. And because of that, every human life is sacred, made in God's image and should be esteemed, protected and allowed to flourish. That is our big idea. Now, we're going to look at this from different perspectives and to see the breadth of it, as I said. But we'll start with what we tend to think about when we think about Christians being for life. And those of you who are Christians probably know that when we hear like pro-life or something, we think, oh, that's about the unborn. That's about abortion. And and even if you're not a Jesus follower, you're like, yeah, Christians seem to care a lot about that. That's a big deal for them. We're going to talk about why. And it is kind of interesting to know, though, that over the centuries, that hasn't actually been the big life issue for Christians to, I mean, that has been an issue, but it hasn't been the big life issue. It is right now in modern Christianity. It is. But as I said, it's broader, but we're going to start there since in our era, that's what people think of. And it is controversial. And, and some of you are feeling uncomfortable right now, I'm sure, because there's this tension in our culture. And there's this maybe tension in your mind right now, because, you know, there's kind of two competing values, two competing ideas. One is to say the the right of a woman to make decisions about her own body and her reproductive health is something that should be protected and, and is important. And on the other side of that, people say, well, yes, but 
if that baby, once that baby becomes a human being, if that baby is a human separate from anybody else, including mom, then they have rights to live and to flourish. And, and in that tension, the million dollar question is, when does human life begin? Like, when does that baby, when does that fetus or whatever, when does, when does that baby not, is just not just something, but is a human being who is worthy to be valued and esteemed and protected and all that like we've talked about. And from a biblical perspective, and I know not everybody listening is necessarily, you know, think, well, that's the number one thing. But for those of us who are Jesus followers, it is. And you'll understand why this is so important to us. But from a biblical perspective, it's really not ambiguous. It's really clear that human life begins in the womb at conception. That baby is already a little human being with a unique destiny and dignity made in God's image. For example, Psalm 139, 13, David says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He's saying before I was born, when I was being formed by you in the womb, you knew me. You had a plan for me. You had my whole life laid out for me. And when I think about that, and he also talks about how I thank you for making me so wonderfully complex that every little baby is so wonderfully complex. Right. And. I gave you I showed some pictures earlier of our new granddaughter and she was just hours old in those pictures. But those weren't the first pictures we got. The first pictures we got were sonograms months ago when she was tiny, tiny, tiny in the womb. And you can see her little nose and head and toes and feet. And and she was a wonder then just as she is now. And God knew her then, just as God knows her now. And God had a plan for her then, just as God has a plan for her now. And, you know, for Christy and me, we've been praying and praying and praying so much for Eden because of some of those challenges that she had. She stopped growing after a while and and therefore she uh, they had they induced her early. She came into the world. She's a little bitty, but she's a little fighter. She's did great. And we were praying for that and praying for that. We're so uh, just thankful that um, she's a healthy little girl. Um, but we were praying for her so much that we feel like we know her much more than it's just a regular, you know, process, a regular, you know, everything's going great. No problems. We'd still pray for her, but not like we've been praying for. And so I feel like I know her, but God doesn't feel like he knows her. God knows her and knew her in the womb and had a plan for her. He says the same thing to Jeremiah before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He already knew Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a little person. He already had a destiny to fulfill. And the same thing is true for you. Even before Paul says in Ephesians, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Later in chapter two of Ephesians, he says we're each created with a destiny, with works to do that God thought about you. He knows you. And that's true of every little baby that's formed. Because of this, Mother Teresa said this, said it this way. Every child has been created for greater things to love and be loved in the image of God. 
Once a child is conceived, there is life, God's life. That child has a right to live and be cared for. And, you know, when you look at, at well, is it women's rights or the child and, and are they alive? And are, you know, they, the Bible cares about women's rights. And you, you can look at a lot, you know, look at just what the Bible says about widows and all that God cares about. And it's, and it's a lot. You're like, wow, he really cares about that. And he does. But however we think about that has to take into effect that though that baby is an independent human being known and loved by God and has the right to be to be born and to exist and to flourish and to fulfill their destiny. And so for those of you who aren't Jesus followers, I know this may be like, wow, that's I don't know. You know that I mean, but now at least, you know, why Christians like care a lot about this issue, because we believe the unborn are human beings worthy to be protected. And I know it raises a lot of questions and like ethical questions like, well, is it ever right? And all that. and I don't have time to go into all that. Uh, but there are ministries like probe ministries, P.R.O.B.E. ministries. You can look at them online that have they've got a lot of good work on that. But one question I will talk about or is, is this, and that is for people who may be freaking out right now, because a, a lot of people in our culture um, have. Uh, you know, I think one out of four is the latest thing I saw of women under 45 have had abortions. And so you, you might be, you know, if you think, wow, if the Bible is, says that and that's right, and then I'm freaking out right now because what does that mean for me and my future? And, you know, what what did I do? And I it was such a confusing time, all, all that stuff. And if you're feeling that, I just want you to know that God loves you. And has a destiny for you and has a future for you and wants you to flourish and wants you to find freedom and forgiveness. In fact, we have a whole ministry here called Forgiven and Set Free. And you can go on our website and look it up. And it's just it's a ministry for women who've been. This is part of their story. Abortion is part of their journey to just process that and to find God's forgiveness and freedom, because that's what God wants for us. Because when it comes to the unborn, Every human life is sacred, made in God's image, and should be esteemed, protected, and allowed to flourish. And, and while that's true of the unborn, and it is, uh, at least from a biblical perspective, it is, some of you who aren't Jesus people might look at Christians and say, okay, I, maybe I get a little bit more why they care so much about the unborn. But it can sometimes be confusing why Christians sometimes make that such a big issue, and other life issues seem not to care so much about and I want you to know that that happens and that's unfortunate. That's that's there, there's a lot of us Christians who are different than that, who care about the unborn, but who care about all of life. Those who are born as well And the Bible does. And when there is that contradiction, that's just an unbiblical contradiction. And so let's look at all of life. And even as we go through this season and think about how to steward our influence and our vote and all that to think about the unborn and to think about those in these other situations too, like genocide that is happening still in different parts of the world where people are killed. Whole people groups are being killed and abused because of their ethnicity. And that's an evil that we've got to keep in mind as we steward our influence to try to get in the way of poverty is another life issue. Again, we're talking not just survival. We are talking about that, but also the ability to flourish and to live in and live in dignity and to live in destiny. And poverty keeps people from that. 
And so therefore, every time as a church, as we're engaged in local poverty and as we're engaged in global poverty, working with the poorest of the poor, it is such a cool thing to see people lifted out of poverty to have dignity restored and to be able to fulfill destiny. And that's a life issue. Another life issue, pandemics and disease. Um, You know about pandemics? You know, it's kind of crazy because just months ago, for Americans, when we thought about epidemics and that kind of thing, that either those were things that either happened a hundred years ago or happened other places. But they don't happen here. Like we're too advanced for that or whatever, right? So and then it happened and now we're in a pandemic and I hope it humbles us as a people. I hope it humbles us as a culture. Because now here we are in a pandemic and and there's a lot of life issues. When we say we are for life in terms of how we go through a pandemic, well, that matters. In fact, it's been a, been a really interesting journey, this pandemic, being a pastor of a church, um, because uh, we have to make decisions about church and about when do we when do we do physical locations like now we're in pre-gather and then November 1st regather. Um, remember, that's my birthday um, is uh, but regather and, and we've got to figure all that out and, and make decisions. And when we regather, do we wear masks or not? And do you register or not? And social distancing, all this kind of stuff. And as you can imagine, I've heard lots of hot sports opinions about over these months about what we should be doing and what we should not be doing from people who are like, we should never reopen to those our, our campuses um, until there's a vaccine and months after that to uh, to why do we ever close? Like, why did we ever not meet? Like, you know, that's a you know, some people have politicized it have said, man, it's, it's just this hoax that either the Democrats or Republicans or Chinese or cats or somebody made up. And it, it's, you know, not even a thing. And, and you know, why, you know, why are we as a church buying into this? Um, we've had um, I, I've heard of people saying, hey, if we do regather, like, why do people have to wear a mask? I can't breathe a mask. I can't worship a mask. And when Jesus met with lepers, he didn't give them a mask. He just met, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure that's the right logic. But um, but I, I, there's just a lot of opinions out there. And I know, you know, we're the whole gamut probably listening right now on this. And let me just share how we've made the decisions that we've made, because it's not because of politics and that kind of stuff. Um, the, the way we've tried to make these decisions about when to regather and how to regather is really two big things. One is the quality of the experience. Uh, when can we regather in a way that is actually a good experience? Um, I mean, our online experience is a good experience. So when we regather, how can we do that in a way where like we want to invite our friends to come? And we, we can worship God in ways that, are, that, that feel good and all that and, and that are impactful. So the quality of the experience and then the safety of the experience, too. Meaning we we care about people in a pandemic. And some people have said, well, you know, if you don't gather, it means you're afraid and you're living in fear and all that. It's really not about fear. It's about love and saying, how do we keep people? I mean, this is a life issue. If by us doing whatever we want puts other people in danger, lives in danger, that's really not a good choice. That's not love displayed. And so we are maybe on the more conservative side of churches in our area. Everybody's got to make their own decision. I'm all for them. But the reason we have been is because of life, because we're for life. And if there's even the possibility that by being conservative, we can save a life, then that's pretty 
it, that, that's more than interesting. That's something that's going to help drive our decisions. And I, I was talking to Gene Gatz, who founded our church, and he got COVID about, gosh, I don't know, a couple of months ago. He's not home yet. And we're praying for him and praying for him. He's getting stronger and stronger. But as I was talking to him, he said, Jeff, man, thanks for leading our church the way you have in terms of being conservative about this, because I can tell you as a person who has it, it's you don't want it. And uh, and I just appreciate the way that we've done this as a church. But it's tricky, right? There's no roadmap. There's no Bible verse. There's no anything that tells you exactly how to do it. But it's for us, it's been a life issue has gone into it. And we'll keep making the best decisions we can and uh, and just pray for us for wisdom on that. Uh, some of you are in the medical field, uh, saving lives. That's a, obviously a noble thing to do. Do you know hospitals came out of Christianity because of previous epidemics and pandemics? Um, that's a whole other story. But that is a life issue. Another life issue is war that causes obviously so much death. And I believe you can make a biblical justification for war. It's not that war is always wrong or, you know, it's but it's never good when it happens. And I think as Christians, we should be maybe the hardest to convince, not the easiest to convince on that. We should at least ask a lot of questions before we cause that much uh, pain and death and suffering. Violence. Um, You know, right now there's been a lot of violence in our culture and it's been shocking and horrible and it should be shocking because it is horrible and there's different people say well it's these people no it's these people that are doing what whoever's doing it as jesus people we don't roll this way no matter what kind of point we're trying to get across violence is not the way to get that point across and in our culture too i think we have to be way more careful with just be thoughtful about things like um, video games and, uh, and other things with little kids while their mind is forming to think at least ask the question, man, I don't want to cheapen life. And uh, and if if violence in, for in, in reality and violence is entertainment, we just got to be careful about that. We don't want to cheapen our, the, the commitment to to life. Racism is a life issue. Because it's anything that strips people of dignity and their ability to fill their, fulfill their God-given destiny is a life issue. And racism does that. Racism says, no, it's not equal. We're not all equally made in God's image. Racism strips people of dignity. It strips people of the ability to or makes it much harder for them to live in their dignity. That's a, a life issue. Abuse is a life issue. When people use their power to strip other people of dignity and their ability to fulfill their destiny. Human trafficking, a huge life issue in our culture, in our world. You know, there are more people enslaved today than back in what we think of slavery in, you know, 100, you know, 100, a couple hundred years ago or 150 years ago, whenever that was. Um, as we think of the African slave trade, as horrible as that was. And now today it's still not just alive and well. The U.N. estimates that one out of every 200 people living on this planet are in some kind of forced labor. Uh, most of those women and 25 percent of those children. And this is just one of those life issues that we need to care about. We need to be passionate about. And as a church, we are engaged. Refugees around the world. Right now, there are 20 million people displaced from their country uh, who have nowhere to go. They're in different camps and things like that. In our global fund, we do serve refugees. But it is such a huge issue. 
um, 40 million within their countries. So 20 million outside countries, that's 60 million people who are in that category. Now, if you're like me, and you say, okay, every human life is sacred, made in God's image, and should be esteemed, protected, and allowed to flourish, and as a Jesus follower, I've got to care about that. And I think about all these issues that we just talked about. And that's just an example. I wasn't comprehensive. There's all the ways people's dignity is stripped, all the way people's destiny is not allowed to happen. That should bother us. We should be involved in that. But it's so big. And you're like, man, how can I do all that? Like, I'm just trying to homeschool my kids. I'm just trying to keep a job. I'm just trying to find a job. I'm just trying to make decisions in this uncertain time and all that. I get it. It's it's like, what what could I possibly do? Because we can't fix all those things. But I will say this. As Jesus people, I believe we need to have an answer for how we're aligning with this reality. I believe we need to be able to say, you know what? This is how I am engaged. This is how I am for life. Not just living my life, but lifting up the lives of others whose life is being challenged. But how do we do that? So let me just break it down. I mean, there's three things I'm going to encourage us to do. One is pray for God to turn the hearts of people toward life. Um, only God can change the human heart. And over the decades, human life has become so cheap. And only God can change that. I think that's a demonic thing that's happening in our world and, and happening in our culture. But God can change the human heart. And so pray for God to turn the hearts of people toward life and, and all, reversing all those things that we looked at earlier. Use your influence for those who need to be esteemed, protected, and allowed to flourish. Proverbs 31.8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Proverbs 24.11, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward slaughter. To say, man, let's, however we can get in the way of these things happening, let's get in the way of these things happening. And, and part of our, you know, our influence is in, in using our influence on behalf of those who don't have influence or using our voice for those who don't have a voice is, I mean, we're in an election season. And so as we go through, even stewarding our vote is one way to think about all these issues. And, man, how do I steward that thinking about people um, whose life is being challenged whose dignity is being stripped, who's, you know, whatever, all the stuff we talked about. But it's bigger than that, too. Just any way that I can be a voice for those who don't have it, I want to do that. And then third, engage life-affirming ministry. Meaning do something that lifts up the lives of other people, that helps them live in their dignity, that helps live them fulfill their destiny. And if you go to our website, to the outreach part of our website, you're going to find all these opportunities that are some of them coming alongside our partners. And we have these great partners and partner teams. We have some internal ministries uh, that are uh, that are compassion ministries and justice ministries at Chase Oaks as well. Here's just a smattering of those to be involved in. If you say, man, I, I really want to come around the unborn and that is well, real options is one of those organizations that that we partner with. And we have partner teams and there's opportunities to serve and help women who are facing such a tough situation with an unplanned pregnancy and and how can we support them and help them? And uh, it's a great organization. 
um, along that same line, fostering and adoption. And there's opportunities to foster. There's opportunities to adopt. There's opportunities to help those who do. But there's other ways, too, like My Possibilities is an organization that uh, is an incredible organization that we partner with that um, that looks at, at adults with cognitive disabilities who often have a hard time living in dignity and fulfilling their full destiny and their full potential that God's given them to fulfill. And my possibilities done is an amazing job of helping these hipsters, helping that's what they're called, but helping uh, helping them live in their dignity and live in their destiny. And it's just beautiful to see. And our world is better because of their contribution of, of all these individuals that God created to do incredible things. Um, pivot uh, is we'll talk about this a little bit more next week because next week we're talking about business and we're talking about work and the importance of that. And my job next week is to send us all to work that next week at, with a much bigger perspective. But pivot helps people find meaningful work and live in that live, fulfill their destiny, live in that dignity. Chase Oaks Family Center comes around those who a, a number of people, but a lot of them immigrants and to help them, again, fulfill their destiny and live in dignity and lift up their life. Those are just some examples. I'm just encouraging you to say, hey, this is how I make it happen. Because every life is sacred, made in God's image, and should be esteemed, protected, and allowed to flourish. And we're going to pray here in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to just pray and say, God, in this world where there's so much working against that, for so many people on this planet. God, I, I want you to, to give me a passion for one of those ways that I can make a difference. That, that I can actually engage. And I'm also, as we pray, I also want to say this. And that is God cares about the lives of other people. And we should too. But I also want you to know that God sees you the same way. That you're made in God's image. Then when you think about this, it's not just talking about other people. Your life is sacred, made in God's image and should be esteemed, protected and allowed to flourish. And that's what God wants for you. I don't know how you feel about yourself or how other people make you feel. But I want you to know that from God's perspective, you are sacredly, supremely valuable. And esteemed and loved and gifted with a destiny to fulfill. And God wants to help you find that. One of the reasons Jesus came, he said that that we may have life and live it to the full. He is for life, not just surviving. He wants us to live it to the full. And that starts with a relationship with him. He wants to, to come into your life. If you invite him, he will. Not only forgive us from sin, but begin to transform us and change us to live the better way that he called us to live and to be used by God to make a difference in this world. He wants us to experience life to the full. I want to give us an opportunity to say yes to him. So let's bow our heads together in prayer wherever you are right now. And first of all, if you'd like to begin a relationship with God, you can say something like this. God, thank you that you created me, that you love me, And I want a relationship with you. You came in this world to make that possible. Not only for my sins to be forgiven, but for me to move from spiritual death to spiritual life to begin to walk with you, for you to change me, for you to help me live in the fullness of life that you want. 
And so, God, I say yes to you. I want you to come into my life and forgive me and change me and use me in this world. That's what it means to begin a relationship with God. And he says when, you, when we take that step that he will never leave us, never forsake us. He knows we're a bunch of screw-ups and we'll continue to be screw-up. And he'll continue to love us and forgive us and heal us and change us and transform us. And then for those of us, maybe you have a relationship with God, an opportunity to say, God, help me be passionate about what you're passionate about. Help me be a person that's not just for my life, but is for life, period. That is for the lives of others, especially when their life is in danger, especially when their dignity is at stake, especially when their, when their destiny is not being pursued because of something that's blocking that. And I can help. And God, would you give me, would you put on my heart that thing that you want me to care about, that you want me to pray about, that you want me to engage. In Jesus' name, amen.